Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. If you got one of the handouts on your way in, I'm going to invite you to pull it out. This is the last Sunday of One Month to Live. And we started this series by asking the question, if somebody, if you're at the doctor's office like Miss Terry was, and somebody said, hey, we notice something, we see something, there, there's something that alarms us. If you have that realization that your life is much shorter than you expected, if you got the news and said, hey, you've only got 30 days to live, what would you do differently? What is it that you would change about your life? What conversations would you have? What apologies would you make? What, what arguments would you say? You know what? This is really dumb. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let the last 30 days of my life be defined by this. If you knew you only had one month to live, what would change? And so today, this last message, we've talked about a lot of things about living passionately, loving completely. We talked about a lot of these things, but today I want to talk about the simple truth that all of us are going to leave this earth one day. And that when we leave, we need to leave boldly. One day, 10 out of 10 of us are going to die unless the Lord returns before that. 10 out of 10 of us are going to die. And one day, there's going to be a group of people that gather together and they're going to come to a room sort of like this, maybe like the chapel or down at the funeral home. They're going to come together and they're going to roll out this box that reminds us of that person, of us, and somebody's going to have to stand behind the platform and they're going to have to talk about your life. If you were to die in the next 30 days, what would you want somebody like me, somebody like Pastor Chuck, somebody like Ron, whoever it may be, if you were to die, what do you want us to say? That's kind of a heavy question, isn't it? That's kind of, you know, it's been a dreary weekend and raining, 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 raining. was celebrated and now I stand up and I'm like, what if you were to die today? What do you want the preacher to say? And the reason why I ask that question is because it's been heartbreaking. Over the years that I've been in ministry, I've preached a lot of weddings and I've preached several funerals. And one of the most heartbreaking moments of my life is when I get the phone call that somebody's passed away and then I get a contact with the family and I call the family and I say, hey, what do you remember about mom? What do you remember about dad? Hey, what do you remember about yourself? What is it that you would like me to say? Or is there any, you know, some story you'd like for me to, to tell the congregation about them? Is there some phrase, some hobby? Is there, what is it about them that you would like for me on your behalf to say to the people that gathered to honor that person's life? And I'm telling you, it's heartbreaking when there's nothing but awkward silence. That's happened to me on a handful of times. I asked Pastor Ron this morning if that's, that's happened for him. I've heard him talk about it, in fact, where at the end of somebody's life, and so I've, I've done some funerals of teenagers. I've done funerals of people in their 90s. I've done everything in between, and it's heartbreaking on those handful of occasions when I say, what is it that sticks out to you? What do you remember? What was important? And they can't say anything. See, at some point, we're going to die. At some point, our spouse, our kids, our neighbors, somebody is going to gather a group of people together. And my question is, what do you want them to say about you? 
See, the point of 30 days to live is that a lot of times we live so casually. A lot of times we live so carelessly. A lot of times we just let life happen to us and we live a life that's only responding to what comes at us. And here's what I want to say to you, that you can leave a lasting legacy. You can leave a legacy that when somebody stands up to honor your life, they're able to rattle off the positive things that you've done. Because not every legacy is positive, is it? I mean, we could go around this room, we could pass the microphone, and we could say, have you ever known anybody that left a negative legacy? And certainly that would happen. But here's what I want to say to every one of us this morning, is that every single one of us, we can leave a positive, lasting legacy. And the way that we do that is by living with intentionality. That every single one of us in this room, we can leave the world better than we found it. We can leave investments in our kids and our grandkids and our nephew, nephews and nieces. We can make a positive, lasting legacy if we'll determine to live intentionally. And in the Bible, there's a great example of this. There's so many great examples in, in the Bible, but there's one guy I want to look at this morning. This is a guy named Paul. Most of you are familiar with him. He wrote most of the New Testament. Here's a guy that had a similar story to many that we've heard throughout the series, that there was a time that he was very far separated from God. He, he, he was a, a Jew by birth, and he was a, a member of this group of Jews called the Pharisees that were just very zealous over protecting their tradition. And what happened is as the message of Christ began to infiltrate the countryside, people like Paul got angry. They're like, who is this Jesus? Why are you talking about him? Why, why are people coming to know him? And so what Paul set out to do, he, he set out to try to stop this movement. He set out to try to stop the, the movement of Christianity and people coming to know Jesus. He, he killed people. He killed people who were putting their faith in Christ. But there came a moment where everything changed for him. There came a moment that his story is recorded in a book called the book of Acts. It really is just an account of the acts of God working through his followers. And somewhere around Acts chapter nine or so, Paul has this encounter with Jesus that changed his life forever. And that's true for any of us. If you know Jesus, your life has changed. If your life hasn't been changed, you probably don't know him because wherever he comes, he brings change. And what began to happen from that moment on as Paul lived his life with great intentionality. So if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna invite you to follow along, but really it's just one single verse I'm gonna look at today. If you have your Bibles, look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. 2 Timothy 4 verse 7. Here's a guy that, that started out living intentionally in the wrong direction and the moment that God captured his life and the moment that God captured his heart, everything changed. You can leave a positive lasting legacy if you live with intentionality. Here's what Paul says. I'll back up a couple of verses. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Here's what Paul's doing. Paul is in a jail cell knowing that he's about to die. Here he is. He, he, he knows that he's in his last final days. And so he's writing a letter. The reason why this is called 2 Timothy is because this is the second letter he sent to this guy he's mentoring, this guy he's investing in, this guy he's passing on his faith and his knowledge and his hope to. And as he writes to Timothy, he says, look, I know I'm about to die. He takes this imagery that they knew from the Old Testament of a drink offering. He's saying, that's my life. My life is an offering. It's not just what I put in a basket. It's not just a portion of my life. He's saying, my whole life is an offering to God. 
And then listen to what he goes on to say. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I'm about to die. Listen to verse seven. But I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course and I've kept the faith. In these verses, you don't read about Paul having regret. In these verses, you don't sense Paul saying, man, I can't believe I'm about to die. I wish I could redo a few things in my life. At the end of his life, Paul isn't scrambling to try to make up for lost years. Here's Paul at the end of his life saying to Timothy, here's what I've done. Here's what I've done. And I think he says that to every one of us this morning, that every single one of us starting today, maybe your past isn't what you had hoped it to be, but starting today, we can live with this kind of intentionality. So if you have the handout, I'm gonna ask you just to fill these in and you could probably guess them if you wanted to. But if we're gonna live this kind of legacy and leave an impact, we've gotta live with intentionality. Number one, if you wanna fill it in, fill in the blanks. Number one, we've gotta fight the right fight. We gotta fight the right fight. Paul says in this one simple verse, I have fought the what? I fought the good fight. And so Paul just makes this distinction. He's like, I fought the good fight, which says to me that not every fight is a good fight, is it? Not every fight is a good fight. Not every fight is something we are supposed to fight. Paul makes this distinction. He's like, there's a lot of battles I could fight. I remember as a kid going to middle school and uh, in sixth grade, we'd move to a different town. And it's my first time. I used to live close enough to the school where I could walk, but now I had to get up really early, catch the bus. And there's this kid that that was older than me that that just harassed me every day on the bus. I mean, he threatened to beat me up. He took my books, threw them on the ground and all, all this craziness. Later, it turned out that he knew my brother. I was like, he's going to beat you up. You know, so it's, that's the one, one of the times that it was uh, convenient to have an older brother. But anyway, so th- there's this guy. And so I was talking to my dad about it. And my dad said to me, Bobby, you've got to pick your fights. You got to pick your fights. Now, I don't think my dad was encouraging me <laughs> to, to be some terror on the bus, but he was saying, look, not every fight's equal. Not everybody's equal. I think that's true in life, isn't it? There's a lot of battles going on around us. And there's one battle that a lot of times we're not even aware of because it is invisible. See, the Bible is so clear that there is this invisible world around us. It's the spiritual realm around us. There's a physical earth, there's heaven, but in between there's a spiritual warfare going on. You probably know that or you've heard that, but a lot of times we don't live like we believe that. See, in, in, in the States, especially here in the West, we, we believe in things that we can see and feel and touch. And, you know, if we can't see it, then we, we don't think it exists. But the Bible's clear. In fact, if you want to write it down, Ephesians chapter, chapter 6, Paul, in another letter to a group of churches, says, look, our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against rulers and principalities and, and rulers of this dark age. And he begins to lay out this fact that there is a battle going on around us, that, that every time God makes a move and every time God make, has a plan, there's an enemy, whether you call him the devil, the uh, Lucifer, Satan, the Bible calls them different titles throughout the Bible. The Bible makes it clear that he is real and he is the enemy. And the reason why I point that out is because there's an enemy that is operating in the spiritual realm around us. There's an enemy that is fighting. Every time the enemy sees God doing something, the enemy places a target on that thing and the enemy begins to attack that. That's true in a church. 
That's true in a family. That's true in a relationship. That, that's true everywhere you go, that wherever God is doing a work, the enemy sees that as a threat. The enemy places a target on it and the enemy begins to attack it. Now, why would I go there? Why would I say that on a 30 days to live kind of day? Because here's what I'm convinced of. A lot of times we may know it theoretically that there's an enemy, but in everyday practice, we don't live like it. We don't live like it. Here's what I mean by that. There, th- this world around us is a war zone. There is a battle going on. And just like in a physical battle somewhere around the world, people step on mines that they don't see. They get hit by shrapnel uh, from somebody. They weren't even in the battle, but they're a bystander in that battle. Just like that happens physically on this earth, that also happens spiritually on this earth. That's why... There's a lot of people that'll, that'll say, but Bobby, how come there's drama going on at work? I, I just trusted Jesus. How, 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 how come there's friction in my marriage? I mean, we're, we're trying to do the right thing. And sometimes we think when we say yes to Jesus or when the moment we start coming to church or studying God's word, we think things are going to get easier. But I'm here to tell you that that's not always true. In fact, a lot of times it's not true because the moment you say yes to Jesus, you go from sitting on the bench to being an ally on the side of God and the enemy sees you and he places you in the crosshairs. Is this making sense? I know it's a rainy, drizzly day, foggy outside, but I'm telling you there's a war going on. And what happens, this is where it gets real practical for you and me. What happens is we feel the effects of that war. We feel the friction in our marriages. We feel the friction in our country. We feel uh, the, the, the dissension that sometimes happens in a growth group or in a church. And here's where it really hits home. We see the effects of the war, but if we don't believe there is a war or we don't believe there is an enemy, guess what ends up happening? We blame what we feel on the wrong person. Is this making sense? When we feel the effects of the war, but we don't believe there's a war with an enemy, Instead of blaming the enemy, we end up blaming our spouses. Instead of blaming the enemy, we blame the church. Instead of blaming the enemy, we blame some person at work and we forget that there's a battle going on. And so here's what I wanna encourage you to do is we think about 30 days to live and leaving a lasting legacy. Big point number one, fight the right fight. If, If you're taking notes, just somewhere underneath that, write this one word down, write the word convictions right? The word convictions, the way that you and I can learn what the right fights are versus the wrong fights are, where we can learn how to fight those fights is by developing what I call biblical convictions in our life. A biblical conviction serves as a core value. It's a value that is so rooted deep inside of you that it changes the way that you and I live. And the only way to have that kind of conviction is to spend time in the word of God in the Bible. So I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, stop by. I'm going to be in the lobby, hanging out, helping people connect with growth groups. If you don't have a Bible, come see me. I'll take your name down. We'll get you a Bible this week. If you've got a smartphone, if you've got internet access, go to BibleGateway.com, go to Crosswalk.com, download version on your phone. There's so many ways to access the Word of God, whether you read it, whether you download it and listen to it, whether you, uh, you listen to our podcast throughout the week. I want to encourage you to get the Word of God off the page and into your life. And as you do, it'll change the way that you live. So number one, fight the right fight. Not only that, number two, number two is Paul's writing. He says, I've fought the good fight. And he says, I have finished the course. 
Again, you don't hear Paul with a lot of regrets in this verse. In fact, you don't read any regrets. He's like, I've got to the end of my life and I have finished what I've started. Now, let me just be gut level honest. I'm not always good at finishing things. Anybody else with me on that? It's easy to start something, isn't it? But it's not always easy to what? Finish. I mean, if you were to come by my house today, I could show you the half of the garage I haven't finished. (laughs) It's awful. That's a great idea. Y'all want to come over and help today? Let me pray about that. No. Anyway, so yeah, right? Y'all, I felt the spirit leave the room when y'all, no, let me, I got, you got your own garage, don't you? Or you got the room where we've got that thing, right? We all have something we need to finish. Well, here's what Paul says. I have finished the course. Paul uses a lot of sports analogies and it's this idea of a race and the race has a track and he's like, I've gotten to the finish line. I have finished it. Well, here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about me. In all of our lives, God has placed us on a track. God has placed us on a course and our courses look different. So quit trying to run somebody else's course. That's what we do a lot of times. We're like, well, I want to be more like them. I want to have what they have. I want to, I want to, and God's like, I I don't want you to run their course. I want you to run your course, right? God's not about competing. He's not saying, Bobby, why don't you be more like that person? Why don't you talk like them, preach like them? Why why aren't you more like Pastor Chuck? Why aren't you more like so-and-so? Instead, God's not looking at us saying, I want you to compete. God's saying, I want you to complete the course I've placed in front of you. I want to complete the course I've placed in front of you. All of us have a course. And at the end of our lives, God's going to ask, how did you do with that? What did you do with the course I've placed in front of you? The one course that I think is common of every believer in this room and of all ages is the one course that I know for sure is that God has placed us on a road to become more like his son, Jesus. That's it. For every person that has ever trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the course that is common for every one of us is that God says, I have begun a good work in you and I'm gonna bring it to completion by the day of the Lord. He wants every single day for us to become more and more like Jesus. The goal is that this day I'd look more like Jesus than yesterday, that next week I'd look more like Jesus than this week. The reason why you're on earth, the reason why you still have breath is so that you and I can grow to become like him. So if you're taking notes underneath that second point, The first point, I had you write down the word convictions. The second point, I want you to write down uh, this idea, this word character, this idea of character. What begins to happen as we download the word of God into our lives, as we grow in him, what he begins to do is he develops character inside of us. He begins to change the way we think. He begins to change the way that we talk. He begins to change our appetites, our emotions, the things that we long for. And that is important. If we're going to leave a positive lasting legacy, it comes from intentionality, from fighting the right fights, from finishing the course he's placed in front of us. And here's the last one. Number three, to be found faithful, to be found faithful. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. Paul's saying, I've been faithful. Paul's been saying from that moment of life change happening, I've stayed faithful. In fact, you know what Paul did for most of the rest of his life after that life-changing moment? He invested in other people. I mean, that's why we have most of the New Testament because Paul was so captured by the love of Christ that he wrote to people like Timothy. He said, Timothy, grow. I, I want to help you grow up in your faith. 
He wrote to people that lived in the city of Ephesus and says, look, I'm so passionate about you getting it and you making a difference that I want to warn you, watch out, there's a battle going on. Watch out, don't get caught up by the enemy. Paul was so passionate that he spent the rest of his adult life saying, who can I give my faith away to? If you're taking notes, somewhere underneath number three, just write down the word community, community. The question that that asks of us is who am I investing in? Who am I pouring into? Who is my life connected to? Because here's Paul, he's saying, the life change that happened to me in the book of Acts happened to me individually, but even though it happened individually, my faith is not a solo faith. My faith is connected to other people. That's why I think growth groups are so powerful. If you're not part of a small group, Every Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.30, and 11, we've got groups of people that meet together to learn God's word, to grow in God's word, and, to, and just to encourage one another that one of the ways that you and I are found faithful, one of the ways that we end well is by allowing the people around us, the, even the problems around us, even the circumstances around us to shape us to become more like Jesus. So I wanna encourage you, if you're not in a small group, Get in one, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's Sunday afternoon, whether it's Monday, whenever that is, find a group of people to do life with them, to invest in them and allow them to invest in you. Just looking over here, I see Mr. Joe over here who has a group that meets on Sunday afternoons, a great group of people from all walks of life. There's a young adult group that meets in my home on Monday night. There's groups, we've got probably eight or 10 groups now that meet off-site, and then we've got a dozen or so groups that meet on-site, and I want to encourage you, get involved in a group, because that's so important. God uses that. One of my prayers is that every person in this room that isn't in a group will find a group to plug into, whether it's Sunday morning or throughout the week, and my second part of that prayer is, is my prayer is that in 2013, we would begin to see groups pop up in every single neighborhood all around our city and all around our county, as people come to Sugar Hill Church to say, I want God to do a work in me, and then they take whatever God's doing in them, and they allow God to do it through them, and they take it back to their neighborhood, whether it's Arbor Cross, Twin Creeks, Avonlea Creek, or whether you live over in Lawrenceville, wherever that may be, that we begin to see our mission, just like Paul, we see our mission as an exporter of truth and an exporter of hope that we would begin to take the light of God And we'd go into those places where the battle's going on. We'd go into those places where there's darkness and we would take the light of God and we'd take it in so many neighborhoods in Sugar Hill and so many neighborhoods in North Gwinnett that that what would begin to happen is we'd pierce holes in that darkness and that eventually as Bible studies begin to grow, as neighborhoods begin to put their trust in Jesus, that there'd be so much light shining out of Sugar Hill that darkness would have no place to hide. That's my prayer. My prayer is that we'd be exporters of truth, that we would be like Paul and we'd say, I want to be faithful. I want to invest in other people. I want to give myself away. And one of the practical reasons why I think this is so important is there's going to be a time that you need the body of Christ. There's going to be a time where there's uh, some health scare in your family and you're going to need somebody to call. There's going to be a time that there's some great need in your life and you're not going to know how to meet that need. And there's going to be a moment that you need the body of Christ like that. And the body of Christ needs you. Maybe you're not in that season right now, but I'm telling you, there are times, and it's heartbreaking when I get these kind of conversations. Somebody will say, Bobby, so-and-so is offended because the church didn't reach out to them. 
And when they say church, they're thinking about this building. They're thinking about us corporately. They're like, hey, this happened. This thing happened. Nobody reached out to them. And my question is, as sympathetic as I am of that situation, my question is, who were they connected to? Because there's no way, I'm telling you, there's no way we're going to know everybody that's in the hospital. We're we're not going to know everybody that has a prayer request. There's no way we can know every need that's going on in the community. But what begins to happen when you start a home group in your neighborhood or what begins to happen when you come to a growth group here on Sunday mornings, what begins to happen is other people around you begin to carry those burdens with you. And then when something happens, when some scare happens, when something goes on and you need the church, you know that the church isn't this building. It's not just some giant group of people, but it's a relationship that you're in. And so I encourage you, find those people. Here's what I know. I'm never gonna do all the things that Paul did. I'm never gonna be able to accomplish as much as he did, but I can do the same intentional things he did. I can fight the right fights. You can do that. I can be a person that finishes whatever God puts in front of me. And I want to be a person that's found faithful. As I was preparing for this week, I immediately went back to how we started this sermon series. I went back and I thought about my dad who died at 58 years old, five years ago. And yet to this day, there's not a day that goes by that something he taught me doesn't impact a decision or a thing that I do. Not a day. He left a legacy, a positive one. My granddad, who died four years ago at 94 years of age, there's not the thing that he was most excited about was that he still had all of his teeth. I mean, that, I guess that's, that's exciting, right? But at 94, uh, four years ago, passed away. And to this day, I am reaping the benefits of a positive, lasting legacy. If I had to preach your funeral today, what would you want me to say? In fact, instead of letting somebody else determine that for you, can you imagine what would happen if today you took time and you wrote down on a piece of paper and you said, this is how I want to be remembered. That today you can determine your life sentence. And then once you've determined it, then you can begin to live it out so that you can leave a positive legacy. Let me pray for us this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And all across this room, I want to pray for what God's doing. This has been such an enlightening series for us as we've thought about living with intentionality, as we've thought about what would it look like if we really believe that life is short, that death is certain, and we've only got one shot to do this right. At the end of our life, the thing that makes the biggest difference isn't going to be the places we've gone. It's not going to be the houses that we've bought and sold. It's not going to be the cars that we have. The difference maker is going to be the positive impact we've made in people's lives. The Bible says only two things last forever, God's word and people. Today, would you begin just to pray and say, God, would you help me? to know what it is my life is to be about. God, what is it you want to do in me and what is it you want to do through me? And then when you begin to pray and say, God, would you help me to know how to live that out? 
Help me to know the changes, the adjustments, the rearrangement I need to make to live out that positive legacy you want me to live. And what I know to be true is the only way, I'm telling you, the only way to have a legacy that impacts eternity is to know Jesus. You've seen the story of people that have trusted Jesus. There's never been a moment that Jesus has been more than a story, that Jesus has been the savior of your life. Would you just start by praying that right now? You can do that in your seat. You can ask him to change you. You can ask him to forgive you. You can put your trust in what he and he alone could do on the cross. That he forgave our sins. And he came back to life with resurrection, brand new life. As best as you can, would you ask him to do that inside of you? Father, today, help us to live like we're leaving. Help us to leave boldly with a positive heritage, a positive legacy that shows that our life counted because of what you did in us and what you did through us. In your name I pray. Amen.